Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of the Soul Fate Podcast, where we chat with founders and builders in the Solana ecosystem and in the blockchain space more broadly. Today's episode was a great one with Tommy, co-founder of SciFi. Uh, SciFi started in the early Solana days. They're pioneers in the DeFi space. Uh, they started with a sol- an early options primitive on Solana, super, super fun stuff. They won a hackathon in early 2021 uh, and went on to sort of found their company and, and raise and build out a bunch of products since then. There's a whole lot of cool stuff. Tommy himself has an electrical engineering background. Uh, he transitioned into software. I don't know exactly when he says it in the episode, but I've, I've forgotten <laughs> specifically. But, uh, you know, transitioned into software and then transitioned into crypto and uh, specifically into sort of DeFi. So so he's kind of a jack of all trades between hardware, software, mm-hmm, crypto, mm-hmm. you know, finance specifically. It's, it's a really cool conversation. Yeah, it was super fun. Like Tommy, I, I always appreciate a good story of like someone switching industries. And, and Tommy definitely did that going from electrical engineering to eventually landing in, in effectively DeFi and, and finance. And in full disclosure, this episode gets very technical um, for the financial world, like not our normal sort of technical. A lot of financial terms get thrown around. So don't be afraid of those. Like just, just you know, help yourself get a little bit educated on it. And uh, yeah, I think PsyOptions is, is really cool because like one of their new products they're going to launch is Armada. And it really seems to, to aim to bring liquidity into the Solana ecosystem and help with better tokenomics at a lot of projects, kind of like some sort of uh, platform to actually launch tokens and launch good tokens is like the gist of it. And yeah, I think it'd be really cool. It'd be great for the ecosystem to have better tokenomics and all of these random tokens that projects uh, actually create. So I think it's gonna be cool when it launches. So check it out. Yeah, good stuff. I uh, there's also just there's some incidental history lessons along the way. Oh Tom's yeah, been oh, yeah. <laughs> since the beginning, so we learn a lot about how DeFi has evolved over the last couple of years. Um, you know what it was like to be running a DeFi company uh, over the last twelve months, which has admittedly been a bit of a rocky time frame. Uh, so <laughs> really sure. cool to get his, get his take. But without further ado, let's uh, let's dive in. Nothing in this podcast is or should be considered financial advice. Any opinions and thoughts expressed are solely those of the individual. They do not represent the opinions of any entity. Enjoy. I got into crypto back in 2016, 2017, doing some solidity work, minor investing, um, and then went full time. uh, Gosh, it was a little over two years ago now, but got into Solana and started developing on Solana three years ago, pretty much to date. Uh, so I've been around the Solana ecosystem for a while. Nice. Yeah, long time. Yeah. That's that's sweet. Well, let's, yeah. I mean, before let's, Anchor let's, was let's there, before there were docs, you know, like <laughs> way, way the, back. Yeah. Fun, fun yeah, times. I was taking a look through the, the sci-fi, sci-options website, and there's a lot of mentions of serum and uh, hackathon submissions around the serum submission timeframe. So I thought that was very interesting because like James said, like I also have very little context on you as an individual or Psy options and as like a product. And so I'm curious to hear the backstory of like how Psy options also started and, and what's the backstory on, on the company. Yeah. So, uh, my, my twin brother and I actually, he was working for Blockfolio at the time, and we started paying attention to Solana because he was following, we were following Multicoin and saw Kyle Samani posting about Solana back in 2018, probably 2018 um, or 2019. And then when they went to mainnet, we were spun up an organization and on GitHub and we're like, let's just start hacking on some stuff. And then Solana did their very first hackathon in November of 2020. And we actually didn't place in that. We built like a third party trusted Oracle system, kind of like the very beginning of what like Switchboard is today, where you kind of create some parameters and then these this network could uh, f- actually pull that data on chain for you. Um, didn't place at all. All we had was like a terminal just spitting output. That was our submission. So we would show like how it was working. Um, but like fast forward a month and we wanted to automate an options trading strategy in traditional finance but our brokerage wouldn't give us API access. So we're like, why don't we just build this into blockchain? It'll be fun. Let's figure out like how you define an option, uh, you know, what an option contract actually is. And that was like what really got us into um, like fully into Solana. We ended up placing first in that hackathon alongside Mango Markets. 
And as soon as that happened, investors were just like reaching out. We had no plans to create a company or like take this on full time and just go all in. But when you have people kind of like offering you, you know, money and telling you how big this thing's going to be, it's kind of hard to, to just say no. And so it took a while to get like all the entities set up and legal structure and plans for a future token. Um, that was like about six months. And then, uh, and then we were, we were full in and raised some money. Uh, fast forward, you know, timeline over the last like two years, we did, we shut down the original like options trading that was like order book based trading with options because there just isn't enough uh, demand there. There's not enough on-chain volume. There's not even enough really, there's not a ton of volume off-chain. You see a ton of volume in perpetual futures and spot, but not so much like the options market. So then we, we uh, teamed up and acquired Tap Finance out of Singapore who started leading like our structured products arm and we've been running those for a while we built a over collateralized bar lending protocol that take those structured product tokens as collateral so you can get more capital efficiency there but then as the macro environment has changed and interest rates have like skyrocketed the risk reward on some of those products uh weren't worth it to a lot of investors a lot of tvl kind of got sucked out of there and so we started shifting focus into a couple new new products um right now we have kind of three initiatives that we're gearing up to release the first one is a new platform called Armada. It's supposed to kind of answer, this is like a partnership with the Hero team. Um, it's supposed to help teams launch tokens, uh, then also get better liquidity on those tokens on chain. We wanna make on chain the best place to trade these tokens. Um, and then also help with like incentivization mechanisms to, to bring more liquidity to those new pairs. Um, the other aspect is kind of tokenomics. There's not a lot of great tokenomics puzzle pieces. And so, well, there's a lot of puzzle pieces, but they don't uh, come together in the Solana ecosystem very well. Um, and then lastly is an options-based AMM. And so that's kind of what we're focused on right now. We've got the structured product stuff still still rolling, but um, you know, we kind of need to, to fill the gaps for different environments, right? I want to I wanna maybe drill into each of those uh, pieces that you mentioned separately. <laughs> yeah, that's, I know that was a lot. That, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, it's 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 all great stuff, but we want we want to make sure listeners understand what we're talking about. And frankly, I want to make sure I understand what what we're yeah, talking. I about. I definitely only understood uh, about half of those things. So, like, <laughs> let's we'll, we'll circle back to each yeah. of them individually for sure. <laughs> yes. So so um, for the for the sake of you know emphasizing the thing that matters most to to your company right now, you know maybe you choose which of those we should we should talk about first and spend the most and maybe spend the most time on. I think the highest conviction we have is the Armada platform, because I think okay. when you look at the Solana ecosystem, the biggest issues facing it right now is uh, lack of high quality tokens with quality value accrual tokenomics um, and just on-chain liquidity. And that's the goal of that one. So let's, let's talk through what the Armada program is and what it, um, like what's its what's its purpose? How does it function? How do people get involved? Yeah, so it's a culmination of probably five programs at the moment. Um, the first one is a liquidity bootstrapping curve or virtual liquidity bootstrapping pool. If you're familiar with Balancer, it kind of takes a lot from that. Uh, that allows teams to kind of create their own uh, custom auction style and curve. So you could create something where you start a price out really high and it decays very quickly over time until buyers come in and then price moves up when buyers come in and then if buyers stop coming and it goes back, it starts going back down again. Um, and so that way it's about launching tokens with, uh, with price discovery um, as well as like raising funds for, for a team. Uh, the second component is then where we get into like the on-chain liquidity and that's what we call a concentrated liquidity market making program. It sits on top of uh, concentrated liquidity pools like Orca's Whirlpool or Radium's uh, concentrated liquidity pools. Basically, if you're not from the Solana world, Uniswap V3 programs and delegates the market making capabilities to uh, an institutional market maker. And with some like technical advances of this, you can get a lot, your TVL can go a lot further as far as liquidity on chain because you can have tighter spreads and more liquidity around the current price. Uh, and more active management styles. And as a user, you don't have to manage it yourself. Can I ask a question about something you said? You mentioned it delegates some of the, the liquidity to like an institutional provider. Can you 
elaborate on what that entails, what that means? Yeah. So it's a non-custodial, essentially 0% interest loan to a market maker. Basically the market, like basically users are pooling their capital into a vault. And then the market maker is the one that actually opens and closes positions, sets spreads or, or position bands and, uh, and adds or detracts liquidity from those positions. So they're basically managing the, the market maker is just has permissions to manage the liquidity on the, uh, the, the concentrated liquidity pool or market, um, if you will. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, cool. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. Just wanted to make sure I, I grasped that piece. So you can, no, you're, you can you're pick good. up where the, you left off there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that one's the biggest one. I think it's the most, that, that program is the most fun. Um, we've just been running some internal testing so far with like other liquidity and, uh, you know, just the volume on sole USDC pairs alone makes the, the returns, uh, very worthwhile. Uh, so we think that one will be really cool. We want, that's the one where we want better market making and more liquidity on chain. So instead of getting into bonk by going to a centralized exchange, you should be trading on Solana, right? Like that's how we're going to pull new people into the ecosystem when they're forced to uh, get involved in this new community by trading on chain and, and getting exposure on chain and then seeing how fast their trade settles. That's what kind of opens the eyes of, of others, right? Um, and then the, the other pieces to Armada, the other programs are uh, a new kind of discount token standards is what we're calling it. It's an incentivization mechanism where you can incentivize pools instead of just giving uh, the spot token, you can give a 20% perpetual discount to that token. So let's say the token is trading at $1 today and, and you're airdropping a 20% discount. Uh, basically, you would have to pay 80 cents to get that token. Now, if the token trades is at $2 tomorrow and then you go and want to exchange, uh, you would have to pay $1.60 to get that token. Um, and so it gives the give projects or token issuers the ability to, to have more variable uh, incentive mechanisms. And those fees go back to, um, back to their project, back to their treasury or wherever they're directing it. Um, so they can continue their operations and whatnot. That so is does Armada... Gist. So does Armada actually give, I would assume like you get like full UI. So that way, sort of like how Realms, the Realms application gives a UI for like governance and, and some like multi-sig kind of support. Does Armada give these types of like user interaction, user UI to actually manage all of this, like an end-to-end -end solution for any project wants to, to launch a token for whatever reason they have? And you can both see the analytics and the you can see all these curves and like really nice UIs too. Yes. So I mean, and, and well, the one thing we're actually doing too is allowing it to be white labeled. Um, so you could like we can export a static site, host it as an XNFT or somewhere else, uh, and make it customizable to the team. Because uh, like right now, it's it's those three programs, but we are going to bake into like this, the token, like tokenomics aspects. And we want to make it so you're not just seeing, oh, you launched a token, you've got now some liquidity and you've now launched your, your, uh, your actual like project or, uh, what your organization has been working on. Uh, but then you can start layering in tokenomics. So it plugs into governance. So like a single sided staking that plugs into SPL governance, uh, and then a, a few other programs and kind of see like your holistic, um, organization and how tokens flow throughout that's that's definitely the uh, that's like the v2 um but yeah everything's a, a the ui will be given to everyone got it so the target so the target customer rather than being sort of um everyday DeFi user is is organizations who want to launch and manage tokens it's you know it's a there's multiple user personas here, right? Like the primary, the primary um, persona that that we're going after right now is people who are trying to launch tokens. But once you actually have a token and you've set up tokenomics and whatnot, the the other persona for the concentrated liquidity market making vault is is your actual community members, right? And so the best channel to get to those those people is through the through the team um, and through that organization. So that's, that's kind of why we see like targeting the, the 
project founders, the organizations are kind of key decision makers there as, as the like cornerstone. Got it. Got it. Um, I want to, I want to maybe, I mean, generally speaking, tokens are an interesting space in 2023, right? End of 22 (laughs) was, was a challenging environment for crypto very, very broadly, but especially on, on Solana. I'm, I'm curious, like you, you and I lived through very different experiences, right? It's like, I lived through an experience where I had, uh, small to like very small amount of soul frankly uh on chain and that was about it maybe some nfts just like your standard i don't have a lot of capital so i just have like a small amount of of tokens and uh so when things crashed it was like wild to watch but didn't feel like i had a ton of skin in the game necessarily right uh very different experience for you i would love to hear what that what that was like for you yeah Oh man. I mean, I think it's, it's, there was like one crazy event, like a different catalyst every quarter for the last like four quarters. Right. Or like last, at least three quarters. (laughs) Like it, so it was just like one, like, Oh shit moment. And then a a step down to an Oh shit moment, step down to an Oh shit moment, step down. Um, And honestly, I think like, I'm like a horrible trader. Like, this is why I need an institutional market maker to like manage these positions for me because I just, I wrote it all the way up from like three years ago and all the way down. Right. I went from a little bit of money, just putting, just putting the toe in to like, Oh my God, this is a lot of money to like, uh, we're back down to like, it's uh, more money than I had in the beginning. But, uh, so I, I've been just like holding through this roller coaster. I think the, um, like the tough thing, like the lesson learned is like, okay, you, you need to like pay attention to, to like the signals and like the top. And I kick myself for like not taking some risk off at that point. Um, but I, I think like outside of the personal holdings and investing purely investment, I think like from the development standpoint, the ecosystem got a lot more quiet. Like it was, it's really hard in the bull market. There's so much noise. There's so much competition. My code was forked multiple times. Uh, people who were friends became competitors and, and direct adversaries and, and would like stab you in the back. Um, and you're constantly like just building and, and spending 12 hours, five days, six days a week building and talking to people and, and whatnot. Um, so like there was good and bad at both. And I think it just kind of, became net neutral over time. Um, if I look at it, you know, from where we are today, like I have more of a personal life right now and I'm still maintaining and still like building a lot of stuff and the team's still pushing stuff. Um, so. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. From a, from like a, from a company standpoint, uh, you know, you've, you've mentioned liquidity a couple of times. I imagine liquidity changed drastically over the, over the last, you know, eight to 12 months. Um, how, how has the company managed that? Yeah. Well, I mean, first thing we're fortunate enough to raise, uh, a lot of capital in 2021 and, uh, and we didn't like over hire, we don't overspend on engineers. We are never paying egregious amounts. Um, we, we trained most of like all our smart contract developers, like we've, we've trained ourselves. Um, just took good cybersecurity professionals or things like that. And so we, and we never tried to chase insane yields. We never put, you know, a million or two into anchor and, um, you know, we never were writing uncollateralized loans or things like that just to try and squeeze some yield. So I think like from, I think capital management was like a big key thing, but like, we're still in the position from longevity of building back operational, like working like cash flow, right? Like that's, that's the really tough thing right now. Um, and so that's kind of why we're, we have so many like irons in the fire, um, to kind of build for the current market as it has changed from the past and the, the future market. Got it. Got it. No, that's, that's great. I think, I mean, capital management is, is key. I think for anyone starting a, a new venture, it's easy, especially at the height of the bowl to to spend like crazy right to be like oh yeah this money's flowing everything everything's good 
we can yeah. we can we can, can only go we can up, spend right? some to oh make some and then and then all of a sudden you're you're screwed so glad glad to hear that you guys weather that storm fairly well um due to like your own fiscal responsibility um yeah. i am i am you know i am sort of curious is a is a a bull run right is kind of fueled by hype and speculation and a bear market uh often is fuel you know it's fueled by the opposite right is is like fueled by fear and and uh hesitancy and so you sort of lose liquidity there's a wide spectrum there where where sort of your your where reality exists and what i mean by reality is sort of like the the true indication of the demand for crypto products for uh you know for tokens etc but it's an incredibly wide band and it's hard to say whether that sits smack dab in the middle closer to the top more towards the bottom um you know though people like yourself who sort of are you know work in the DeFi space very intimately might have a better pulse on on what is the actual demand for for DeFi products outside of pure speculation um I'm, I'm curious, like, where do you think we are today in terms of true demand for crypto products? And, and where do you, and, and from a trend perspective, like, where do you see it ending up? Is this, is, is, is crypto, uh, or, and I'm going to, I'm going to say DeFi specific is, is, is DeFi meant to be a, a niche financial sector or is it, or do you think DeFi is meant to be uh, maybe not a full replacement for for TradFi, but but meant to exist on the same scale? I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle of of niche and like full scale of of TradFi. Um, I think like the global. Uh, I'm assuming are you guys both U.S. citizens. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, you know, I think for us like. We don't run into headaches with the like traditional finance or lack of banking or lack of accessibility of certain things unless you're going and asking for API access or trying to get direct order book based data, right? Like you don't hit walls unless you're going to some weird deep corner that you need to be working at a big incumbent to get access to. Um, but on the global side, like that's not really the case, right? So I think like the actual use cases of DeFi and this globalization, like currency layer and and uh, financial layer will be driven by uh, you know other other markets and other domiciles so um, but I think like going back to like the hype it's it is very tough to like be a, a realist and, and maintain and I think that's where you have to you know we haven't done any real like liquidity mining initiatives or points or things like that because and the reason we don't and or airdrops and one outside of like legal questionality and things like that, making sure you're doing things like from a, a proper legal perspective. The other issue is it can kind of skew like, is this demand for, uh, you know, actual demand for the product and the risk reward profile or because we are paying people to use this um, and we have some low float token that has a high value that's just going to tank uh, as we as we release supply. Right. Um, and so. That's a little bit of how like we keep try and keep things real to determine uh, whether there's actual demand. And then the other thing is like going by the the one on one conversations. Like you can learn a lot more uh, chatting with people one on one and doing BD rather than trying to do broad level marketing and like hype to like pull people in. Um, it's a lot easier to to gauge interest from talking to institutions or other people because um, there is a lot of value to be captured on chain. Like there's a ton of volatility in these assets. Um, it's just people don't, uh, you know, it's hard to actually as an individual, uh, to, to capture that value. Yeah. I, I mean, like, well, so aside from the West, uh, uh, snuck in there, uh, aside from the developed West, like, like you said, like as us citizens, like generally speaking, we trust our government. We're not afraid that our government's going to steal all of our money. There's naturally some edge cases and like everyone has their belief system and parties and all that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, like our financial institutions are stable, right? Like you said, it's not necessarily true for the rest of the world. And with the regulation that also comes with a lot of these things, like 
where do you factor in these regulatory hurdles, for lack of better phrasing, both between the the developed West or, or like developed countries, vice developing countries? So like take Africa, for example. In most regions in Africa, people don't have access to hardly, they have access to hardly any financial services, whether that's banking or just even simple peer-to-peer payments or, or simple, I guess, centralized payments. So they have to rely on peer-to-peer payments. They have to rely on their telco company to facilitate these payments back and forth between other companies, like you're paying random bills or if they're they're buying the coffee at the coffee shop down the street or sending money back and forth. So like, where do you think that this kind of falls in with the the crypto DeFi scene? Like, what are your thoughts? Especially since naturally you guys have a, a product and a business that's very uh, entrenched in the DeFi ecosystem. Are you talking more about like what, uh, like what makes the, like the good use case um, or like what products specifically would help those sort of countries or, or jurisdictions? I think, I guess my question is kind of both, but more so on the, the products and like why, why they should trust them and how to convince them to use the technology because yeah, it's harder. It's, it's probably easier to convince people that don't already have a stable financial system to use it but people are still not on a global scale adopting it as fast as those of us that are already here would kind of expect. Yeah. Okay. So I think there's like a few things, right? When we talk about just where to put money in general, ignoring like the kind of where you live and and whatnot and, and what access you have to financial products, but like you have to evaluate like risk and reward. And like with, with blockchain, I'd still say it's in its infancy. I mean, specifically Solana too. Um, there's still a ton of smart contract risk. You know, there's not products that have been around or, you know, smart contracts that have stood the test of time for five, 10 years right now. Um, and so you kind of have to bake in that, that percentage of return that's required to take on that risk of smart contract risk. And with, you know, treasury yields so high, you know, you have to like, you have to pass that that threshold on top of the the treasury uh, risk free rate of return, um, and so just kind of highlighting that there's other risks in the system. And as developers, right, for us, like we can read these contracts if they're open source and analyze them and and build our trust. But like the layman, like does not have access to that, and it's hard. I think. Um, you know, we had Anchor's repository for like open sourcing stuff, but, and that was great for making sure things were open sourced and validating that what's on chain was actually what was published to that Anchor repository. But it's still like to the layman, like they're, what, what the hell are they looking at, right? How do they determine if this thing is safe or not? And you have no idea if the people who peer reviewed it or the, um, quite frankly, the, the auditors who put out some PDF that says they reviewed it actually caught any security vulnerabilities, right? Um, so there's still just like a ton of risk in, in making sure that um, things are transparent and and whatnot is, is very difficult, or at least so a layman non-developer could like read it um, or understand it. I think that's like a, a very difficult problem. Um, but I think like if you have no other, if you have less options, right? Going back to the like geographical or geopolitical like part of the question. If you have minimal options and you don't have access to US dollars or the US dollar and risk-free rate of turn and, and you don't trust uh, your, your currency or it's going through some crazy inflationary period, then your, your risk tolerance may be lower. But then you still have to onboard and make sure that you can onboard and make sure that there's on-ramps and off-ramps and you can put your money in and get it out seamlessly. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of work being done on, on all those fronts. Um, it's a little bit easier to solve, I think, than, than like transparency of, uh, of like programs and risks. I think that just takes, uh, takes things being baked in over time. Um, but so I think that's, that, that's kind of the equations or at least how I, how they're evaluating these things. Right. Is, um, I, I feel like anytime there's great yield somewhere for any kind of extended period of time, it 
it's going to start out primarily as individuals and eventually it's going to shift to institutions right um and crypto there's kind of this this dr driving ideology behind crypto which is democratization of opportunity uh that just sort of naturally goes away when institutions flood a space due to the imbalance of of capital available to each each of those parties i'm curious do do you think that currently happens in crypto uh and 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 it, you know if not do you think it do you think it will and how is there is there any way to sort of maintain both maintain access for both individuals and institutions separately so that there can be some kind of like equality of of capital opportunity i think like on a dollar per dollar basis like you you can get the same opportunity but well okay well it depends. So let's take like an example where yield is unsustainable and there's some liquidity mining program or, and something like that. And you have these whales that like come in early and heavy and they just suck up all the rewards, right? Um, that's not really sustainable. They're going to get, and then they're going to dump that token um, and make all the money and, and retail typically ends up holding and, and losing out there. So like there, I don't think there's a way to fix that problem. It's just, in current environment, like institutions are not getting involved in, in that kind of stuff because it's either not worth their time, they're risk adverse or whatever. Um, but I think when you look at like liquidity and capturing uh, like, like market making and democratization of like market making, uh, if you have this, like, let's just use Armada's concentrated liquidity market making vault as an example of like capturing quality yield from the volume based on Sol and USDC. Over time, like if institutional see that you can make institution see you can make 30% APY, you're going to like come in and like deposit a ton, you know, there volumes going to make, it might still be high, but volatility is going to go down because there's a lot more like liquidity on this market. And so trades don't move the needle as much. And, and that APY like moves down, but everyone on a dollar per dollar basis is still, you know, pooled together in a sense. Um, and so you're, you're getting the same amount, but you don't have near as much capital as the institution. So you were making more before they came in and now you're making less since they came in. I don't think there's a way to really like solve. I don't think you can like solve that problem. Um, it's just a fact of, uh, when there's money to be made and it's worthwhile, like they're, like they're going to come in. How, um, the, the the first piece you mentioned, right, about like retail investors sort of absorbing um, exit liquidity for more sophisticated investors who, who make it into a thing early. Is, is there a, is there a way, is there a way around that, right? Like, is there a way to educate uh, sort of your, your typical investor in the space such that that doesn't happen as, as often? I feel like that is, largely responsible it, i mean look in addition to the things that have turned out to be actual scams in in crypto there's yeah. also things that aren't inherently scams but do screw over your your sort of typical retail investor and it's not because like it was set up as a scam it's just yeah it's poor tokenomics it enables whales to come in and soak up a bunch of the early liquidity and then dump it later as as there's hype right um, and, yeah. and, and sort of people with less money and, and, and less financial sophistication get, get stuck holding the bag. Um, and, and, and it's that absolutely contributes to feeling like the entire space is a scam, which is unfortunate because to your point, Tommy, there is an immense amount of true value on chain, right? There are DeFi operations that make genuine sense that uh, in, enable things that, that weren't enabled before, but it gets overshadowed by, by this sort of, uh, sense that everything, everything in the space is a scam. And so what I'm, what I'm curious about is in the couple of years that, you know, you've, you've been, uh, building DeFi products in the space, do you have, do you see a way to better educate people so that, that doesn't happen as much so that there's less of this like big hype boom followed by a drop where uh, 
you know, the, the, your, your retail investors get, get stuck, um, or get screwed basically. Yeah. I mean, I think, it, I think obviously education can help, uh, you know, you get burned a few times and, and ask why you're getting burned and actually pay attention and realize you, you'll learn pretty quickly. I, I hope a lot of people have learned this far. Um, but I think it comes down to like what Nick, you know, chimed in with is like poor tokenomics and poor like thoughtfulness of, of the token. Like when you think about like the liquidity mining stuff where you're just dumping, um, you know, amounts of tokens into uh, liquidity pools and whales are just sucking it up and they're, they're just notoriously uh, selling as soon as those tokens come in. I mean, they're going to have that process automated and, and retail is not going to be able to keep up and you're going to see that, that quick boom and bust of that, that token, right? Um, so I think it's more about like thoughtful uh, incentive mechanisms, thoughtful tokenomics of how does value accrue back to the token. So that way you can make sure the outflows um, you know, or, or the selling pressure is, is offset by some sort of buying pressure coming from some sort of value accrual tokenomics. Um, you, you can create equations that, you know, kind of net out um, and kind of weed out the the people who aren't holding tokens and, or, you know, people who are dumping and, and making sure tokens end up in the hands of people who are holding. So it's really just, and I think that's, that's like the, the V2 of Armada is like focused on tokenomics and how it plugs into governance and all that stuff. Like it's a, it's a real problem. Like we wrote an article in 2021 about, um, it was July, 2021. We analyzed a bunch of airdrops and the best thing to do with every airdrop, except for maybe Uniswap was sell immediately. Um, and yeah. then we wrote about how you could use options and option airdrops, um, to kind of offset some of that and, and reduce sell pressure by giving slightly in the money or at the money options. But we've seen pain points of like options are very complicated users. So, uh, and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think that's where, where our, our mind shifting to next. I, I would, I would love to see like a, a platform that is designed to guide the the unsophisticated investor right like a like a platform that sort of helps helps you learn uh the crypto investing space and be more careful about your about your trades i think you know it's like traditional brokerages will for example, not let you trade options or not let you trade on margin until you have some kind of track record or, or they have other proxies like total amount invest, you know, total amount of capital you've got uh, holding with them, that sort of thing. They're, they're, they're very crude proxies and they, and they don't work very well, but uh, it would, it would be cool, I think, to see a platform uh, in the crypto space that is, is truly there to like help out your, your regular Joe Schmo investor. Yeah, I, I think that'd be very cool. Like, if you have ideas, I mean, I'd, I'd be down to hack on it. I need to think through, like, specifically. Yeah, like, I, I don't really know to... what it is either. I just, I, it's yeah. like coming to me right now, I guess. Yeah, I have ideas on, like, transparency of, like, how tokens are flowing through an ecosystem. And that's something that we're going to work on in this V2 is so you can see. Because, like, right now in Solana, users, like, things don't really plug in well to, like, SPL governance and whatnot. And so users are now kind of okay, I got this token. Do I stake it and earn rewards? Do I provide liquidity on exchanges or do I participate in governance? And you have to like make these decisions. Um, and if you're participating in governance and tokens going down, well, then you have all these other headaches, like hurdles to like actually sell out and reduce risk or manage your risk. Um, and so we're trying to at least streamline that decision and make it very like clear to users. If you're a part of x ecosystem here's how the token flows and like here's how you know the, the best way to be involved in this ecosystem which i think is a missing piece but i think to your point like the education on you know how not to get burned by seeing a high apy on some pool that's doing some liquidity mining is is critical yeah i also feel like there needs to be some delineation between types of tokens right like not all tokens oh, have the same like they don't exist to serve the same purpose right, right. Uh, a pfp nft is not the same as the nfts issued by helium that are like representative of your of your physical devices that are that are 
you, you know, using the network, uh, which is not the same as a traditional governance token, which is not the same as Sol, which is a native token that incentivizes the entire network to function. Like they're all different categories. And yet uh, from an investing standpoint, we kind of treat them all the same, right? We're just like, yep, token, we want token value to go up. That's the end of it. Whereas, yep. and, and to your- proxy. To, Exactly. It well, and, your, and, and, and to your point, Tommy, sorry, like this is all kind of coming full circle, uh, right? Like a lot of that is the responsibility of the organization putting out the token to put in place the appropriate guardrails, to put in place the appropriate tokenomics, to incentivize the behavior that makes sense for that token. It might not make sense to have a governance token that is easily tradable, right? It might make more sense for that token to be fairly locked down and difficult to trade, or maybe not even possible to trade in a financial sense. Maybe, maybe it's like a, a it's a giveaway thing based on other governance votes, or you know, I'm 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 just throwing out a bunch of random ideas right now. I'm not, you know, if, if listeners, if you hear me say something you disagree with, like I'm not asserting <laughs> correctness here. But but just generally speaking, right? It's like we we I think we've we've gotten really uh, stoked about this high liquidity. Uh, this the the fact that crypto can enable uh you know highly liquid transactable tokens and maybe not thought about whether that makes sense for all token use cases because there are some where it's like yes we just want the least amount of friction possible for for trading this token and there are other tokens where that might actually be harmful to the purpose of the token you know so yeah just i don't know random 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 one-off thoughts on a yeah, I mean, I think with token 2022, maybe we'll see more like unique stuff, right? Like uh, that kind of restricts liquidity or buying and selling or things like that. I think it's definitely possible in the future. But yeah, uh, that's an interesting point. Well, um, let's let's see. I I want to I want to maybe like ask some more some more personal questions, like pivot back to sort of your intro and and just kind of in chat chat less about the about the tokens and views on on crypto generally and just sort of talk about your experiences you mentioned that you started off as an electrical engineer and then got into software and now you're still in software but you're also like very deeply uh you know enmeshed in like in in finance okay yeah and and and, and working with financial products at a very sophisticated level that is uh that is an interesting path, my friend. So let's, if you don't mind, I'd love to, I'd love to dig in and, and like maybe understand the steps there. Yeah. I mean, all right, we'll go from hardware engineer to software engineer. That one was pretty short and easy. Uh, I did a few internships and had a job at a, uh, like a, a telecom or a satellite internet company. And working on their like team that builds their modem does like signal testing and, and whatnot. And it was like a two year life cycle to like release some, like a new piece of hardware, you know, from like start to finish of like, and you're doing a couple of like projects at once, but like, it was like a long life cycle. And I'm like, all right, it takes like 15 people, 20 people to like bring this hardware to market. And then like, there's a bunch of software engineers have to program it. And I was like looking at the iPhone and things like that. And it's like, App developers are making a killing and it takes a, you know, a team, a small team to make the hardware, but then, you know, you need tons of demand. You need tons of software engineers to build the apps and build those things. And so that was what uh, was kind of led me to like pick up software engineering along with uh, my brother and a good friend of ours. Um, we were, we were starting a company in college as well. And so we wanted to build, try to learn and build our site and application ourselves. So those two things kind of led us to, to like forgetting electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and like jumping into to just more high level programming. We started with like what Ruby kind of... on Rails. Okay, I, I was just about to ask that. Was like <laughs> I, I figured. <laughs> yeah, I knew a little bit of C, like very little from like the hardware stuff and like how to interface with with some things uh, for for EE and and the work, but. Um, I was by no means like a good low level, like C programmer. Um, so like Ruby was like, wow, you could Ruby and, and uh, I don't even think we we're using React. I don't even know what framework we we're using, but 
it was just nice to like make something and see it on your screen rather than like yeah. dealing with C and just compiling in some terminal output. So you got to compile yeah. it, send it over serial to your actual hardware. And then you're like, Oh, oh my God, did it yeah. work? I'm not sure. Nick, well, were you electrical move the servo. Like, um, okay. Yeah. You sound like, but, you know, did you study EE or something? Uh, not formally at college as part of my 10 years in the military. I went through the, the submarine nuclear, um, program, which we get a lot of education on electrical engineering and, and nuclear engineering. Nice. Yeah. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was definitely a different life than, than I live now. Um, a lot of good memories and, you know, interesting lifestyle that very few people around the world have ever seen and will ever see. So it's unique, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Nice, nice. So um, when did, Tommy, when did you start getting interested in, in like finance? So always been, uh, you know, a retail, you know, I'll just call myself a schmuck, a retail, like, you know, I, I, I'm not a good trader. I've realized that. And I, I still think I, I still try to trade, but uh, I'm just not great. I, I do better when I let code make decisions rather than my, myself or my emotions. Um, but no, I had a, I think my, my dad set us up with a, just like a, a trading account in early high school maybe like ninth or 10th grade and like just kind of paid attention a little bit, didn't do anything serious, but got involved enough to like, to, to pay attention and know what to look for. And then like options and Robin hood, like was in, was in college. And actually I don't even know if Robin hood was in college at the time, but um, started paying attention to options in college, but still didn't know anything. Like it was just more of like speculation and, and like betting, if you will. Um, then had the idea, like, I think the Robinhood option stuff was like really big, a, a, like a few years ago when we were like working on the Solana, uh, like the first hackathon. And that's when we're like, oh, let's just try and automate like an options trading strategy and defining what an option was and started just like picking up like quantitative finance books and trying to read some of those also through the, you know, winning the hackathon market makers reach out to you and you're like talking to them and like, you, you know, enough to like to talk, but then they're throwing out some terms that you don't know. And you're just like, uh-huh. Yeah. Writing it down. And then you go and look it up <laughs> later, find a new book and all that stuff. And so I think it's like over the last like three years, I mean, really from like diving into DeFi full time and, and networking, like you just pick it up as you go. And that, I mean, that's a beautiful thing about DeFi, right? The democratization of this stuff, you can mess with an order book and mess with trading and market making, but in traditional finance, like if you want actual order book data, like you have to pay for that. And like, it's not cheap. Um, and so That's you can true. kind of get a much faster learning curve in this world than in the traditional finance world. I, uh, I always tell people like, Hey, if you really want to get into crypto, the best way to do it is choose a sum of money that you were okay going to zero, put that, put that money on chain and then go speculate like like just speculate like crazy because nothing's yep. going to teach you to be safe this is not like financial like, advice <laughs> <laughs> hey i said money you're okay going to zero right if that's ten dollars for you it's ten dollars if right like what, yeah. whatever whatever uh because i because i did that without meaning to and it was more money than i wanted to go to zero a lot more money than i wanted to go to zero but it made me a hell of a lot safer right uh I, yep. I like you, Tommy, I'm not a good trader. I'm still not a good trader despite my many losses, but I, um, but I'm much better now. Like I, yeah. I don't buy into hype the same way now. And so maybe I don't have like big gains, but I also don't have like the same, the same types of massive losses anymore. Uh, I just, I'm just riding the market a little up, a little down, yeah. a little up, a little down. And hopefully in the long run that, that pays off. Um, but I am, I have become quite risk averse due to losing, like I said, a lot more money than I, than I wanted to. Um, but honestly, I, I wish, I wish somebody had much, much sooner introduced me to crypto with that advice with like, Hey, do you have a hundred dollars you're willing to lose? Cool. Go do random shit with that hundred dollars on chain and, and learn how liquidity pools by actually use work by actually using them. 
rather than like just reading about them because there's there's a there's just there's a limit to what kind of knowledge you can absorb by like reading about a thing compared to yeah. experiencing a thing yeah People i totally agree yep yeah. that's the best way to pick up engineering is just pick a project and <laughs> run with it right exactly. So, exactly any type of engineering for the most part yeah yeah, yeah. Look, right. and you well, might get lucky. You might put a hundred dollars in, <laughs> and you might not lose it all. So <laughs> you might keep five dollars. One hundred and one. Most aren't at zero yet, right? Well, I guess unless you're jumping into scams. But uh... Uh, one of one of my first um, plays was like Iron Titan, uh, and um, which, which went which went to zero. It, it was Maybe it, that's uh, why. like full uh, full <laughs> full went to zero. Uh, it was. It was hyped as like the next big out iron was hyped as like the next big algorithmic stable coin. Um, Titan was like the token that was used to sort of trade in and out of iron algorithmically to, to keep the, the dollar peg. And it went bust on like, I don't know, like 25, 26 hours in D peg oh. and just everything went to zero. Um, and I, that's a quick I, learning curve. Yeah, no, I, I was like, cycle I was like, oh shit, I need to be smart. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. In fact, I probably would have just bailed on crypto entirely at that point if I didn't, if I didn't, if I hadn't also experienced some things uh, outside of DeFi that I just thought were fun, right? So it like kept me in the space for for the fun of it, not for the not for profit. And then I was able to slowly come back around to, to DeFi and be like, oh yeah, I can, I can assume a moderate amount of smart contract risk and get a few percent yield that, um, you know, I, at the time wouldn't be able to get in like my traditional savings account. Now that environment is flipped because of, because of interest rates. And, um, you know, now, now a lot of those things, it makes more sense for me to have off chain since I'm in the Still not getting that in a savings account, right? I've got a four and a half percent uh, high yield savings oh, I guess, account. I guess what Fidelity and a couple others have. Yeah, like yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's there's yeah. a couple, and and they're and they're pretty good. It's like it's more than I can get staking USDC on on chain, um, but I do still have, you know, stuff on chain where I'm where I'm, I've got other other plays, but they're all fairly they're all fairly modest because again, I'm not I'm not looking to uh, have anything go to zero again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. well, I'm mostly in treasuries. <laughs> Off chain. I think, I think on that note, we're we're getting to time on this, but this has been such a great chat. Thank you so much for joining us, Tommy. And I guess is there uh, is there any last minute things you want to say before we wrap it up? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, check out our modify on Twitter. Uh, we'll be posting updates and, and going public probably in the next month or so, at least nice. before Breakpoint. Um, I'm just yeah, high conviction. Really excited for that product given this environment. Cool, man. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the chat. We'll, uh, we'd, we'd love to chat more sometime to the listeners. We'll see you all next episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.